We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. This morning, for just a few moments, I'd like to share with you a meditation on the death of Christ from a number of scripture passages. I have a bunch of them that I looked up, just put together, kind of string them together and do what the Apostle Paul told us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, around verse 26, I think it is, where he said, in so gathering and partaking of the elements of the table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we think about the Lord's table, there are a lot of little aspects of it we can focus on. We can focus on our interpersonal relationships in the church like um, Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11 with the people there. They really got things messed up, uh, you know, with their class kind of divisions and uh, partaking of, uh, of for themselves ahead of others and not waiting for each other and misusing the love feast before the table and all of those things. But their focus should have been on uh, things not so self-centered, but their focus should have been on the Lord. And so I want to share some verses with you regarding the death of our Lord, since that's what we're you know, here to proclaim. We're not, it's not that the Lord's table service ignores his you know, life, doesn't ignore his resurrection from the dead, but it does focus on his death because at that crucial point is where our sins are addressed, our sins are dealt with, uh, totally apart from and outside of ourselves. Uh, should we uh, have the idea that we can deal with them ourselves, somehow uh, we're way off base in our thinking. Um, either theologically or just practically, if we've gotten ourselves turned around a little bit that way. The, even the people in the first century did that. I mean, they uh, struggled with the idea like, oh, well, don't we have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved? Don't we have to do circumcision on these Gentiles and all of that? And the answer of the apostles, no, <laughs> you don't. It's not the case at all. Uh, the focus is upon the work of Christ. Let's uh, look at a few verses, and you don't have to turn to all these, but just uh, absorb them. How about that? Absorb them. Matthew twenty six fifty nine. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And a few verses later, Matthew 27, 1, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Speaking of the means, the human means by which the, the wicked hands by which the Lord was put upon a cross in order to accomplish God's greater purpose. In John 18, 31 and 32, it records for us, Then Pilate said to them, You take him. And judge him according to your law. 
Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Hey, brother. Yeah, you. Come on in here. (laughs) We're glad to fellowship with you around the table here this morning. We're worshiping the Lord together and thanking him for dying for us on the cross. And uh, this statement here in John 18, 31, uh, the the Jews are disclaiming the ability to uh, kill anybody because they're under the the Roman law, and in a way they're kind of trying to, in a sense, push it off on somebody else, I think, even though it's really their their business, their deal. Uh, They've caused the whole thing. But this was done in order that Jesus' saying would be fulfilled. What was his saying? That, that the, the Jews will take me, they'll hand me over to the Romans, they'll put me on a cross, you know, I'll die and, and then rise again in three days. Uh, the Son of Man must be lifted up from the earth. If he's lifted up, he will draw him into himself. That sort of thing, uh, speaking about the manner of his, of his dying. He would not be stoned, but rather he would be hung upon a cross. Isaiah 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, or for our peace, was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. I can assure you that is true. We know that by Bible teaching and by personal experience and by observation of the world in which we live. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I would have stopped there because as I looked up verses on this topic of the death of Christ, I said, that's good enough right there. When when our iniquities were laid upon him, that meant that he suffered the wages of sin. So this verse doesn't use the word death or say the death of Christ, but that's what it means. His, his shoulders took the iniquity of us all. But then it goes on in Isaiah, and it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And then perhaps a more obscure passage of Scripture, but one nonetheless important. It's in Daniel chapter 9. It says, And after the 62 weeks, this is Gabriel giving a prophecy from heaven, After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And then it talks about what will come after that in the land of Israel for the people of Jerusalem. Peter, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. 
Later on in that same chapter in Acts 2, Peter said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Later on, Peter continues in Acts chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, But you denied the Holy One and the just, means the just one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed you, you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Next chapter, Acts 4.10. Let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man, speaking of this man who was lame, this man stands here before you whole. This, now this is not this man, but this Savior, this Lord. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. In his rejection, he was killed. Which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 10, Peter again, this time to Cornelius as he spreads the gospel to the Gentile world. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Then uh, we shift gears to the Apostle Paul. Paul, having been called to the gospel ministry to the Gentiles, uh, in Acts chapter 13, preaching, says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Notice that. The voices of the prophets echo down through the ages in the readings of the Torah and Haftorah in the synagogue every Saturday. And the people who read those words and heard them out loud did not recognize the voice of the prophets nor the voice of the Son of God when he came. It's a very sad testimony. But the Lord said in John chapter 10, My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. These ones didn't know his voice. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. This is Paul's hope. Remember later on in the book of Acts, he said, for the, for the resurrection of the dead, I'm being tried this day. I, I'm looking and hoping to attain to the same promise that my fathers hoped to attain. That is the resurrection of the dead. 
And of course, at that point, the Sadducees said, well, this is crazy because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead nor of angels or anything like that. Pharisees agreed with Paul. Paul had been a Pharisee before under Gamaliel. But he's just going back to the Old Testament and saying about the resurrection. Christ died so that we could be raised again to life. That promise made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us as children and that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Then in Acts chapter 17, this in Thessalonica, Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Why did he have to suffer and rise again from the dead? Well, all the Old Testament portions we just read, plus plus, all the other ones, the Isaiah passage, Psalm 16, um, all of those ones, Genesis 3.15, all the way back there, the, uh, the serpent passage and all. Romans 5.18 adds, Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. See, without Christ's death, there would be no free gift, there would be no justification, there would be no resurrection, there would be no life, no nothing, we might say, but condemnation. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You made a statement when you came to Christ and saying, I'm associated with you, and in water baptism, you made that statement kind of public, right? You stated it out to everybody who was witnessing that. You've been connected to Christ. You've been connected into his death or integrated with it in the spirit baptism that worked on you when you first came to Christ, and you made that symbolic act in water baptism to show that as well. 1 Corinthians 15, a very well-known passage, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, Hebrews 2.9 says, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every man, for every one. Think of that. It's by God's grace that he tasted death for you and for me. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Two more. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. A real hope for us who are Christian people. Uh, what, we know what God's going to do with uh, those who have passed on before us who are in Christ because uh, Jesus said in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was 
dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, whatever you might feel like, particularly at this moment this morning, or however, however strong your faith is today, however uh, close you feel to the Lord, the truth of the matter is that you will too be able to say, if let's suppose you pass away before the Lord returns at the rapture, and then the rapture comes, you too will be able to say, I was dead, but now I'm alive again because of what Jesus did for me. He led the way. He died first, and then he rose again from the dead. And in that death that he tasted for every man, and in his resurrection, all will be raised. Some, of course, to the resurrection of life, and others, unfortunately, to the resurrection of condemnation. But the scripture is very clear throughout. How many verses did I just read there? I don't know. I didn't count, but There are probably several dozen more that I could come up with if I just spent more time thinking and uh, hunting in my computer for all the verses that reference the death of Christ. So we proclaim the Lord's death indeed today as we share around the table like we talked about baptism. We've already believed, we've already been baptized by God's Spirit into the body of Christ and connected to His death. Water baptism symbolizes that. This table is also a symbol. It's a memorial. It's something we come to that doesn't save us. It doesn't make us better people, but it does give us the opportunity to ponder the death of Christ. And that's why God wants us to do this regularly. Because if we get, you know, the death of Christ is that North Star. But we get off, we're focusing on other things, you know, over here and over there. And it's just a little bit off. And after a while, you're farther and farther and you lose track of where you're supposed to be at, focusing on the fact that this is all about Jesus. It's not about me, my performance. It's not about, you know, how I look in church. It's not about, you know, material things. It's about our relationship with Christ, our relationship with one another, our connection to the church, and extolling Him, exalting Him, not ourselves, because we're really nothing when it comes down to it. Father, I pray that your hand will guide us as we think for another moment and together here about the table, as we share the elements together, Lord, that we will be intent to have our attention captured, captivated, grabbed by the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. The testimony of Scripture is clear The testimony of history is clear. The testimony of the Word of God, the Hebrew Bible, is clear. The testimony of the New Testament, the testimony of the works of Christ, the testimony of the changed lives of millions and millions of souls and and the dozens that are here this morning as well, that His work is effective. It's true. It happened. And Lord, we are grateful for it. Thank you that we could just talk about the death of Christ this morning and remind ourselves of this basic truth. May it guide us, Lord, when we come to difficult spots in our life that might 
begin to fade and not look so difficult when we set them up against the death of Christ for sinners. Maybe it would help us to put things into perspective and priority. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.